The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So we're in our uh, series on uh, Romans, how the gospel changes everything. And uh, what we've been talking about, how the, the book of Romans, what we call a book, is really a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, wrote to the church in Rome. He had not been there, and he's telling them how he's longing to come there because he wants to be able to, last week we talked about how he wants to impart a spiritual gift to them, and he's also hoping that as he does that, as he helps to establish the church in Rome, that's already going there uh, fairly strongly, he wants to establish them, make sure they're rooted and grounded well, and then he's hoping that they're going to help him as he goes to Spain to take the gospel where it's never been preached before. And and we talked last week about this, this language that is here in this, in this letter to the church in Rome. It's such loving language. It's he's saying, I long to come to you. I, I long to be able to impart to you. I, and this group of people that he had, would have had nothing in common with, that he would have never have met. And he said he's longing to come to them. And, and the reason that he tells them is he's making this, this sort of a transition from the opening to, of the letter to like sort of get into the heart of it is right here in verse 16 and 17. And right before this, in verse 15, he says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are, who are in Rome. For, this is why I want to come and preach the gospel to you. For, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, now this part of the letter, now these two verses that we're in now, is probably... Uh, it would certainly be one of the most influential passages in all of Scripture. It, it may be, you can make an argument that it's the most influential passage in the history of Christianity, but certainly one of the most. Uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, preachers preached five or six sermons simply on these two verses. We're going to do it in one, and we're going to try to keep it in a reasonable time frame. Uh, Martin Luther read these verses and couldn't understand. He was a, a very learned man. He had been a, trained as a lawyer, had been trained in the scriptures, and he studied as a monk, as a professor. What is this saying? What is the, the meaning of verse 16 and 17? And when it hit him, whenever he realized when the Holy Spirit breathed into his soul what these two verses meant, it revolutionized his life, and it went on to revolutionize the whole church and even the whole world. The whole Protestant church, all the Protestant churches flows from Martin Luther realizing the message that was contained in these, these two verses. And countless people from them, their lives have been revolutionized by these two verses. If, if, you, get, if you get these two verses and what the, the meaning of these two verses are, what it is, it will revolutionize your life. And it has in it all the power, all the ability, not just to revolutionize your life, but it has in it all the power and all the ability to revolutionize your home and your neighborhood and your friendships and your family and beyond. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're just going to work through these two verses and we're going to see what is the message and meaning behind these two verses. And, and particularly what we're going to see is like, what is Paul talking about whenever he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why isn't he ashamed of the gospel? 
Why is he saying he's not ashamed? And, and what is it that makes him not ashamed of the gospel? What's the power there that is really propelling him? So let's read these verses and let's start to work through it. Paul again said, For, I'm eager to preach to you, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, uh, we've talked about it the past few weeks, but let's just hit it real quick. What is he talking about when he first, when he's talking about the gospel? Uh, the gospel is a word that means news or good news. Uh, it, was the, it was the word that was used in the Greek whenever uh, a herald would come to your village to give you the good news that usually that, a, that your commander, your king, had won a great battle and you are safe. The, well, the, the king has won a great battle and the kingdom is expanding. It's good news as you would have sent your, your men, your, your sons off to battle and you hear the good news back. We have won a victory. That's the good news that has come. It's where the, the, the root of the word evangelize. And to most Christians, like, man, we don't want to talk about evangelism, but that's the root of the word evangelize is the, is the root of, of good news, of, of a great joy that has come to us. And so Paul is saying the gospel of Jesus is good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The gospel is the good news that has come to us of who he is and what he has done for us. The gospel, what sets Christianity apart from any other religion, from any other philosophy, is the gospel is not a message saying, here's what you need to do in order to be right with God. Here's the message of what you need to do to be a better person. Uh, Most of us feel the need to be better people, right? Like, no matter how great a person you might think that you are, and the small group of people around you might be telling you, are you? Like, we're all aware, like, man, I need to grow as a person. I need to be a better person. And, and there's all kinds of philosophies and messages that come to us that says, here's how you can be a better person. Here's how you can have the life that you've always longed to have. And the gospel is not news or a message. This is how you can get better. It's, a, it's news about what God has done for us to fix the problem that lies at the heart of every single one of us and all of humanity. In fact, all of the world. That's the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of that good news. And so we have to step back and say, all right, why would Paul have to say that he's not ashamed of the gospel? Why would he have to say that about himself? And why would he be writing that to the Romans? And it doesn't make sense to be there unless Paul and the Romans, and in fact, every single Christian of all time before that date and since has dealt with this sort of wrestling of being ashamed of the gospel. There's lots of reasons to be ashamed of the gospel, of the good news of who Jesus is and was and what he has done and who he is for us as Christians. There's lots of reasons to be ashamed of that. First of all, it's a very foolish message. Have ever thought about that, how foolish the message of Christianity is? Well, let's just, in, in a, in, in just to be honest with each other as Christians here, most of us, whenever you're here, you're exploring the Christian faith. Let's, let's just own the fact that the Christian message is a foolish message. In fact, Paul, over and over again, talks about 
how foolish the message of Christianity is. So let's just think about what it is that we believe and what it is that we're singing about and what it is that we're purporting that we believe here. And the reason I'm preaching to you guys and the reason that you guys are believers, the reason the whole the whole reason the church exists is that we believe that God is one and yet three and yet is one. All right, that's the Trinity. And that the second person of those three, the Son of God, came to earth and was born a child of a virgin in a barn or a cave somewhere. And that this baby, this kid, this person was somehow uh, both 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And he grew up as a Jewish peasant and he never sinned or never did anything wrong. He never broke God's law, the Ten Commandments and beyond. Uh, don't lie, don't cheat, uh, you know, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, don't covet. Like all these things, he didn't do a single one of them. He kept down the straight and narrow his entire life. And that he then he lived this life and he went into ministry and he did amazing miracles like turned water into wine. He brought dead people back to life. He healed the sick. Uh, uh, he, a woman touched his robe and was healed just by touching his robe. And, that's, and that then this man who did all this good and had all this amazing teaching claimed to be God and then was killed by, offered up by his own people, killed by his people and the Roman authorities was buried and then three days later he rose again. Some people saw him, but he didn't let everybody in the world see him. And then he went back to heaven and he said, I'm coming again riding a white horse. That's the message that we believe as Christians. That's the gospel. It's a pretty foolish message. And then what we say is, if you believe that message, then you will be saved. Your sins will be wiped clean. You'll be born again. It's a foolish message. It doesn't make sense to the average mind. It's foolishness to the natural mind. Here's the thing about the the gospel. You can proclaim it as much as you want to someone who is not a believer. And until they are a believer, it is the silliest thing they can imagine hearing in the world. It's an insult to them that they feel that they need to have a savior. It's an insult to them to feel that your silly message about a God that became man, that lived a perfect life and died a death for us and is coming back again is what they need to believe in to have their sins wiped clean. It's a silly, foolish message. And until they are a believer, the Bible says it's foolishness to them. It's, it's baby talk. It's insulting to the non-believer because they don't believe that they need a savior and They think that your message, even if they did need a savior, that's not the way they want to go to believe the story. We should, we are often ashamed of the gospel because it's foolishness to the people around us who don't get it. Ever got that feeling when you're in a conversation with somebody, maybe they ask you a little bit about your faith or even they just say, hey, you go to church, don't you? Or aren't you a Christian? And all of a sudden it feels sort of like Peter did that night when he betrayed Jesus, right? And you're like, oh, Jesus, uh, yeah, I I guess I know him. I I guess I'm a Christian. But you you sort of, ever ever been in that place where you kind of stumble in your mind and your heart? You think, man, I, I feel really silly right now to say that I'm a Christian. Hey, do you really believe all that stuff? Do you really believe all the miracles? Do you believe that stuff about Jesus? I mean, 
he was a good teacher, but you don't really believe all the, the other stuff, right? The gospel is foolishness to those who aren't believers, and therefore it's easy for us as believers to be ashamed of that. The gospel is easy to be ashamed of because it separates us from other people, right? You either are a believer or you're not. And what we believe as Christians is that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you can have placed your trust in him and confessed him to be your Lord, your King, then you are being saved and are saved and will spend forever with God. And if you don't, then you, are, then you will spend eternity in conscious torment in hell. That separates us from people, right? In every setting that we're in, as we're looking around a room, there's been people in that room that believe and the people who do not believe. It's easy to be ashamed because it separates us from people around us. It's easy for people to think that we're being prideful. It's easy to be ashamed of the gospel because not everybody sees that there is a problem. Most people around us are going through their average daily life and they think things are pretty much okay. And the message of the gospel is things are far from okay. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are under the wrath of God. And that... That is offensive to people, and most people don't see that they have that big a problem in their daily life. It's easy to be ashamed of the gospel. There are plenty of reasons. But yet Paul says he's not ashamed, and the message that he's writing to the church in Rome, and that therefore he's writing to us, is that we shouldn't be ashamed, right? I mean, most of us as believers know, like, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Like, it should it should like well up from the core of our being like Paul to say I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm not ashamed of Jesus I'm not ashamed of the story of who he is and what he has done for me I'm not ashamed of that at all and most of us have days where we feel that way or weeks or months but we wrestle at other times with feeling ashamed and here's the truth if you're sitting here today, and any of us are here, and we are ashamed, and you are ashamed of the gospel to any extent, you can't make yourself not be ashamed just by hearing somebody say that we shouldn't be. We need to accept, first of all, the first step is accept, hey, I have to be honest, I am ashamed of the gospel. I'm ashamed of Jesus. I'm ashamed of the story. I'm ashamed that I'm associated with this sometimes. But yet Paul says he's not ashamed, and we shouldn't be. Well, why, why not? And this is the key thing. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for, that's an important word. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Why would he, a learned man, a Jew of the Jews, he would have had plenty of times where he would have been in circles of people where he had the opportunity to feel ashamed because he was a learned, smart, educated man. And before, before his conversion, he was a Jew of the Jews in both those things. The gospel is foolishness to those who are wise, and it's offensive to those who are religious. It's foolish to the wise because it's such a simple story. We think there should be something more complicated. We think that I should be, have some role in the story. I should have some role in my salvation. I should have some role in my betterment, and it's offensive to those who are religious because the religious are the people who think that they can perform well enough to make themselves right 
with God and right with their fellow man and right with their own conscience. And the gospel says you can never be wise enough and you can never be uh, good enough to make yourself right. Paul, why would he say he's not ashamed? And how can we not be? This, the, the key word is that, that word for there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for. Here's the reason that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. And here's the way that we cannot be ashamed of the gospel if we really believe this deep down in our souls for the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Who believes? Why is Paul not ashamed? First of all, we're not going to take it in order. Let's look at where we see the power of God, salvation, and then everyone who believes. Let's start with salvation. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is what offers and delivers salvation for every single person on earth. That that word salvation is a Christian word, right? We hear it a lot. Are you saved? I'm saved. Thank God for salvation. We sing about it. We talk about it. And it's one of those words I think sometimes it can come, become like a little bit of white noise for us, right? Like we hear the word, but do we really know and believe, like understand what it means? The, the word salvation means, it means wholeness. It means safety. It means soundness. It means healing. Here's what it means. It means to be brought out of a terrible, life-threatening situation and given wholeness and safety and soundness and healing. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the way salvation comes to every single person. And that's not really great news. It's not gospel to you until you actually believe that we have a need for salvation. You know, it, if a fire alarm is going off, it, have you, guys, have you guys ever noticed that smoke alarms start to chirp? Always, between the hour of 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know how the manufacturer does it, but I've never ever seen a smoke detector start to chirp at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's always 3 o'clock in the morning. Whenever you have to wake up and you have this like sort of, this debate inside like, can I sleep through this? And then it keeps on and you decide, I can't sleep through this. And you just try to decide, what is the easiest way I can make this thing stop chirping and get some more sleep? And you're fumbling around, like I have this one that requires a ladder. And so if you're trying to get a ladder out of your garage at 2.30 in the morning, I really wanted to bring a hammer and just knock the thing and just go back to sleep. But what I actually did was I pulled it out of the wall Pulled out the battery, it was still trying to chirp a little bit, and I stuck it underneath a pillow and then went and laid down. And it was, I thought, like, if there's a fire tonight, we're just in trouble. A smoke alarm that chirps at 2.30 in the morning because the battery is dying is incredibly annoying. A smoke alarm that goes off at 2.30 in the morning and wakes you and your family up because there's actual fire in your house is all of a sudden a blessed thing. And the gospel is foolishness to those of us who don't believe that we need to be saved. But to those of us who know that we need a savior is incredibly blessed. It's incredibly precious. It is not unless and until you realize that you cannot be wise enough, 
you cannot be good enough, that on your own you are under the wrath of God, and that you are left in helplessness and hopelessness apart from him until you realize that, until you realize just what a mess you make of your own life whenever you are left to yourself and you realize you really do need somebody to come in and help you and save you and provide soundness and wholeness and healing and help for you, all of a sudden then it will become, the gospel will be not be foolishness and offensive, but all of a sudden it will be good news to you. To be saved means to, first of all, means to be delivered from sin. The first thing that you and I need to be saved of is we need to be delivered of our own sin. The things that we have done that are offensive to God and separate us from God. And not only do they separate us from God, but they separate us from each other, right? The sins that we commit against God, we also end up committing against the people around us. And our relationships are always fracturing, right? Even the ones that are mean most to us. Our marriages, our, our relationship with our parents, and our kids, our friends, our neighbors, we're always fin- fig- figuring out some way to make those relationships sink like the Titanic. And it's because of our own sinfulness, the things that we wrongly do to God and we do to each other that fracture those relationships. And we need to be delivered from our sin. We need to be united to God. That's the meaning of salvation. Not just be delivered of sin and our past sin wiped clean and the power of sin broken over me today. But it is the means, salvation means that we are united to God. You and I, it's not really good news. If, if I came to you and said, all right, here's the deal I'm going to do for you. Uh, every day when you wake up, every bad thing that you've done the day before is going to be wiped clean. That would be like, okay, but you're still going to mess it up the rest of that day, right? The fact that our past has been cleaned and even the, what I'm doing now is washed away in Christ is not fully good news unless it says, hey, in Christ, you're united, you're adopted into the family. God becomes your father. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you and you're given a hope for a new future and you're given a, a wholeness, a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And it's that relationship that you and I long for. Everything that you and I grasp for every day to try to fill a void deep within our soul, it is only God that fills that hole in our soul. And in Christ, we are brought near to God. We are adopted into his family and we are indwelled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? It means for the Christian, you are never, ever Every single person may leave you. Every relationship may turn away from you. You may feel utterly, and you might be utterly and absolutely alone to yourself. But to the believer, you are never fully alone. In fact, if God is with you, you couldn't add anything to that. And God will never leave and he will never forsake his children. Jesus said, I am with you always. We are delivered from sin, united to God and given the hope of glory. A hope. Christians live. I was talking with 
uh, at our community group a couple weeks ago, and John Glendening said, you know, the, the thing that's most, like the, the, the most powerful thing about Christianity might be the hope that we have. That the Christian actually has a hope for a, a true hope for a better tomorrow, like not a pipe dream hope. Like, I hope I win a million dollars in the lottery next week, hope. But like a true living hope that says that if I am Christ and Christ is mine, then it doesn't matter what happens to me between now and the day I die. My life is going to be better in the future than it is today. And that is the hope for every believer. It is the assurance for every believer that no matter what happens to me today or now until I die, my future is better and always glorious and always shining because one day I will be united with Christ forever. And the, the Bible says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The gospel is salvation and Paul's not ashamed because we all have a need of salvation. And this is the good news that we've been delivered and united and to God and we have a hope of glory. And he's not ashamed because it is the, the way that we are saved is is the amazing thing it just simply becomes comes as a message of what god has done for us in christ and is offered to us as a free gift no strings attached god doesn't say hey i've done 95 percent of the work for for you i've had this conversation with landon landon i need we need to have a good day we need to have a good morning. And I'm meeting you as far as I possibly can. I just need you to help me out a little bit so this thing doesn't go further south. Just give me a little bit, son. I'm meeting you all the way down here. God doesn't do that. God comes all the way and he does everything. And he offers salvation as a free gift to you and me. No strings attached. You can't earn it. In fact, as soon as you try to earn it, you don't qualify anymore for the gift. The gift is coming to God with empty hands saying, I am in need of salvation. I've heard the message of all that you've done for me in Christ. And I'm coming with empty hands like a child saying, please come and do everything for me. That's salvation. Did you read who salvation is for? The power, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what he's saying there is that the Jew would have been, you cannot get any further than a Jew and a Greek. They're on opposite end of the spectrums. The Jews hated the, the Greeks. The Greeks thought the Jews were stupid and silly. But he says the gospel comes to everyone. The free gift is offered to every single person. Uh, I don't know what your life has been like. Your life may have been incredibly hard and difficult. You might feel like you're the forgotten person in your family, the forgotten person in the world. You might feel like your whole life, you've been the one that has been left, left behind, left aside, off to the side. You, I'm not very smart. I don't have much going for me. You know what? The gospel comes as a free gift to everyone who believes. Randy, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I was contemplating this morning. You don't know what I've been thinking about as I've been sitting in this chair. 
Uh, There are things that if you knew, it would shock this room. The gospel comes to you as a free offer, a free gift of salvation with no strings attached. You simply come with open hands, accepting that Jesus Christ did everything for you on the cross. That he rose again and has offered his spirit and life to you and hope of a better future with him being united to Christ in God forever. The free gift offered to you is salvation to everyone who believes. That salvation, the gospel of salvation through Christ, Paul says it is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation. Here's why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, because every single person needs salvation and the gospel is declaring that the God, that salvation has been offered to every single person in Christ. And not only that, but he says the gospel is the power of God to even make that salvation happen. So get this picture. God did everything for us in Christ to provide salvation for us. And then for each of us in our dullness, in our darkness, in our sinfulness, in our own stupidity, in our own deadness, in our own sin. That's the way the Bible describes it. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not only did God do everything for salvation in Christ and then offer and say, anybody wants to come and get it. If he did, you and I would be so dull, so dark, so dead in our own trespasses and sins that we wouldn't even have the, the, the bright thought to go to that free gift because again, the gospel is foolishness to everyone who doesn't believe. So here's what God does. As the gospel is proclaimed, as the gospel is shared, excuse me, it comes to us and empowers us to see and believe the beauty that is found in the gospel. It opens our eyes to see the glory that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. It enlivens our hearts to believe. It gives us our minds the ability to understand all of a sudden what was once foolishness to us all of a sudden becomes precious to us. That's the power of the gospel to us. C.S. Lewis, who was one of the most influential (coughs) thinkers and writers of the 20th century, he described his conversion like this. He says, "I I got on a train and I was an atheist and I got off the train and all of a sudden I was a believer. I got on the train and everything was foolishness about the gospel. And I got off the train and all of a sudden it was precious to me and he couldn't explain how. And that's salvation for every single one of us. At one point it was foolishness and the next moment it was glorious. The gospel proclaimed in it, the spirit of God works to not only offer to us the free gift accomplished by Christ, but then the Spirit comes and the free gift accomplished by Christ comes in Christ's power through the Word and it awakens us to even enable us to believe and see the beauty that's found in Jesus. What does the Gospel do? It empowers the sharing 
as we share it with the people around us and it awakens the heart and the soul of the people who God, who did not previously believe in Christ. How is the gospel powerful? It's powerful because of the story of all that God did and it comes and accomplishes the work of salvation in each of our souls. Why would we not be ashamed of the gospel when it's foolishness to the people around us, when it separates us from the people around us, when uh, it, people around us find it offensive? Because we know that they, every single person needs salvation and it's through the gospel, the story of all that God has done for us in Christ is through the gospel shared that God can awaken their souls and save them. One of my favorite preachers, again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he described it like this. He says, if, if you were a, a person that, that suffered some sort of terrible disease and there was a medicine that was prescribed for you that fixed it, that healed you, and you were walking down the street, you saw somebody walking past and you could tell they're suffering from the same thing that I was suffering from. You can recognize it because you were there, right? You recognize the suffering in that person and you have in your pockets the same medicine that you took that healed you. That, that in your soul, you would feel, I owe it to this person to get this medicine in their hands. And I can't wait to do it because I know as soon as they take it, they're going to be made well again. That's why Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the great salvation that Paul needed, that you needed, that I needed, was offered freely to us in Christ before it was foolishness to us. And all of a sudden, through the proclamation or the sharing of the gospel, the Spirit breathed upon it and awakened our souls. We became believers. We saw the beauty that was found in the face of Jesus Christ. We were united to God and given a hope for a future. We see the people around us. We say, man, they've got to get it too. All of a sudden, I'm not ashamed of the foolish gospel. I'm not ashamed of the offensive gospel because I know it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it offers salvation and is the power of God and God does it. God does salvation from the beginning to the end. It is amazing. It's not a news saying, hey, I got news for how you can be made right with God if you do these 16 things. It's news saying, I know how you can be made right with God and it's all been done for you in Christ. It's amazingly powerful news. It's the kind of news that revolutionizes hearts and lives and revolutionizes families. When families get it, all of a sudden, it doesn't mean that all, all the problems of that family are all answered and don't exist anymore, but it changes the nature of the problems inside that family. The, the gospel comes to families and neighborhoods and communities, and as people believe and as proclaimed and believed and shared, it communicates and goes from one to the other like like we catch the stomach bug like a couple weeks ago everybody was catching it it travels like that except 
incredibly more powerful from one person to the next, from one household to the next. And all of a sudden, a, a household, a neighborhood, a school, a, a church, a community, a continent is changed by the power of the gospel. Not by anything that we do, but simply by the story of who Jesus was and is and all that he has done for us. Here's our strategy for church growth at Doxa. Our strategy for church growth at Doxa is that we would be no longer ashamed of the gospel and we would share it with excitement and gusto, the the silly, the offensive, the simple, the uh, foolish gospel with uh, the people that we love around us, our friends and our families and our co-workers, and that God would awaken their soul as he's awakened our soul, and it would spread from person to person and family to family and household to household and and workplace to workplace, and it would revolutionize the Grand Strand, and people would believe and would be sent on mission to then share that foolish, offensive gospel with more and more people along the Grand Strand in South Carolina and the Southeast and the United States and across the world, not because of our amazing ability to communicate it, but because of the amazing ability of Christ and the amazing glory and beauty that is found in his face as people see and believe the glorious gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Paul's praying this prayer, and he prays that they would see what is the immeasurable greatness, hear this word in that they, that they would see the immeasurable greatness of his, that's God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the heavenly places. Did you get that? The power of God is at work towards you and me as believers. And it's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power that is at work towards us and in us as believers. And Paul prays, I pray that you would get and understand the greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's my prayer for us this morning. That's my prayer for you. It's what I've been praying this week. It's what I've been praying as I was up early this morning. It's what I've been praying right now as I'm preaching. I'm praying that you and that I and that we together would see the immeasurable greatness of the love of God towards us, the power of God towards us in Christ Jesus, the same power that raised him from the dead at work within us and towards us as believers. That's the power that we need to see and savor and realize. And when we do, when we believe that with our, with our with gusto deep in our souls, when we believe that, then we can't wait. We long to share that gospel. And we're no longer ashamed to see it work with power to the people around us. That's my prayer for us this morning. That's my prayer for us as I'm getting ready to pray and transition us to partake of communion together. 
Uh, my prayer, and I hope that you pray this prayer as well, but before you come up and as you come up, there'll be, there's going to be two lines, one on each side. You're going to come from the outside. There'll be a, a basket with the monster cracker and then the cup. You take the cracker and you dip it in the juice. If you're a believer in Christ, be open for you this morning. But my prayer for you, and I pray that you will pray it before you come and as you come. We say, God, awaken my soul to the power of Christ toward me as a believer in the gospel. And would you, through that, make me no longer ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And would you use me as a vessel who is no longer ashamed to share and proclaim that gospel to my friends and my family, that we would see you work mightily in their lives and revolutionize their lives and their families and their neighborhoods, their workplaces, and that great strand and beyond. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.